Good evening everyone and welcome to another episode of Everyday Black History. Here we go again, still continuing our um, our uh, highlight of uh, black Americans and uh, the business of hair. As we are still, um, you know, uh, are talking on the topic of hair, we're still honoring uh, entrepreneurs who um, came up and built empires, cosmetic empires, just based on, based in the black community, um, you know, for hair and skincare products. And so we're just continuing our, uh, you know, expose on it, so to speak. And um, today, you know, we're going to continue to highlight, um, we're going to highlight two women here today um, who, you know, built cosmetic empires um, as well. And uh, the first one we're going to highlight today, first off, I want to say, you know, happy Friday to you all. I mean, finally, the weekend is here. So hopefully you all have had a good day today and that you have a nice weekend plan, a nice relaxing weekend, or maybe a weekend of partying. But whatever the case is, I hope that you, you know, have a, a good weekend ahead of you. But today, let's get into some black history. And uh, as mentioned, we're going to highlight um, a woman by the name of Sarah Spencer Washington. And uh, Sarah Spencer Washington, she was the founder of Apex News and Hair Company. And uh, she is uh, was honored as one of the most distinguished businesswomen for her Apex empire of beauty of uh, beauty company, schools, and products. And uh, she gave back to her community, which is always important. Um, when she found a, a nursing home called uh, Apex Rest in uh, Atlantic City, New Jersey, um, and the uh, Apex Golf Club was one of the first um, African-American-owned golf co- courses in the nation. So, and she gave back in other ways in which we will uh, get into in a minute. But a little background information on her. She was born June 6, 1889, and uh, she was born in Berkeley, West Virginia. Uh, to to uh, Joshua and Ellen uh, Douglas Phillips. Now, um, she attended uh, public school in, Ber- in the Berkeley area before she uh, uh, moved to uh, Philadelphia and went to the Lincoln Prep School. And then after that, she went to Norfolk uh, Mission, Mission College in Norfolk, Virginia. Um, before starting her cosmetic empire, she studied advanced chemistry at Columbia University, which no doubt gave her the background to be able to make the uh, cosmetic uh, products that she made later on. Um, in 1905, she began her career as a dressmaker, and she did that um, for about eight years until uh, 1913. And um, that same year, she opened up her own small hairdresser shop in Atlantic City, New Jersey, even though uh, her parents and everyone close to her wanted her to become a school teacher because that was considered more more stable but like you know um you know entrepreneurs black entrepreneurs during this time she bettered herself and uh went into business for herself now in 1919 she founded uh the apex news and hair company in atlantic city new jersey and uh, she began her career as a cosmetics entrepreneur and she experimented with uh, a variety of uh, cosmetic products and naturally she taught it, targeted the uh, black woman. Um, she started with just a one-room beauty shop um, that she was able to grow into an empire by working in her beauty salon during the day and canvassing for her cosmetic products at night. So she was always on the grind, always on the hustle to get her, her uh, business you know, off the ground and to make it the empire that it became. 
The Apex Beauty Products Company encompassed a variety of products from pressing oils, hot combs, uh, pomades for hair, perfumes, beauty creams, and even lipsticks. She uh, recognized the value in the beauty industry and um, considered it one of the best professions to get into. She even called it uh, depression proof. Um, and she was known for saying that as long as there is women in the world, there will always be beauty establishments. And she was right. As we can see, there have been many successful cosmetic empires in the, in the black community alone. The, um, uh, the cosmetic industry in the black community is, is billions. So, you know, she was right in her uh, statement there when she said that. Now, the demand for her products, um, you know, grew um, in the U.S., as uh, her company um, included, it grew to 11 different beauty schools in the U.S. with schools in foreign countries as well that specialize in teaching with her products. Um, it was said that she employed nearly 500 people in her stores across the nation in addition to the estimated 45,000 sales agents who canvassed um, uh, and sold Apex Beauty products um, door to door as she did in her early days. and. Um, as we know that she, even though she didn't, you know, pioneer the beauty industry, she, um, you know, emerged in the uh, in the industry after World War One, and and, um, and and continued to grow her business during the Great Depression. Uh, she, uh, as mentioned before, she was celebrated for coining the slogan, "Now is the time to plan your future by learning a depression-proof business." Talking about the cosmetic business, so you know. Even during hard economic times, she too continued to thrive and grow her business and made it an empire. Um, as we said, it started as a one-room beauty shop, and um, and it was estimated to have been worth nearly half a million dollars by the mid '40s. Her her business. Now, um, she was recognized in 1939 at the 1939 New York World's Fair as the uh, most distinguished businesswoman and uh, her empire expanded such that it included Apex Beauty Products Company to Apex News and Hair Company to the Apex Publishing Company which published the Apex News for Washington's estheticians and sales agents uh, to Apex Laboratories which created her cosmetics and products Apex Drug Company and Apex Beauty Colleges so she had, as we mentioned, a full-on empire that she had on her hands. And her uh, international recognition from the 1939 uh, New York World's Fair enhanced both her business empire and her status um, of black women as her, her business empire had enabled her to become one of the most successful you know, black women in the country and one of the first uh, black millionaires as well. And um, she... Uh, gave back to her community as we mentioned with a golf course and with a nursing home but she also contributed 20 acres of farmland um, as a campsite for uh, black american youth and she gave an endowment of a home for girls um, which supported the educational elements of the national youth administration program so uh, she definitely gave back to her community with you know the uh, empire that she built and unfortunately you know she died um, in, uh, in March 23rd, 1953, um, but you know, as we can see, you know, based off what she what she did, what she accomplished, you know, her legacy, you know, lives on, and we just wanted to highlight her 
because she's not as well known as some of the other cosmetic entrepreneurs you know um so we just wanted to highlight her on on, on here on everyday black history because even i just discovered her and, and her empire and you know uh just wanted to to talk about you know what she's accomplished because from one room you know born born in the 1800s in 1889 you know working her way up from one room a one room beauty shop she was able to build an empire so i mean you know she had that will to succeed so uh sarah spencer washington we thank you for your contribution to black history and black culture and we salute you now the next one we're going to highlight today is uh, one of the most well-known you know black entrepreneurs especially in the cosmetic industry um, madam cj walker and you know, everybody knows madam cj walker and, and we always were taught that she was the first black millionaire um, um black woman who became a millionaire um, now I'm finding out that there were a lot more like Sarah Washington, uh, Sarah Spencer Washington, Annie uh, Trumbo Malone, and you know there were a lot of others who came um, either before her or during her time who were just as successful. But uh, Madam C.J. Walker is one of the most well-known um, entrepreneurs and philanthropists and activists you know of 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 her time and of, uh, that we know of today. Um, she made her fortune developing and marketing a line of cosmetics and hair care products for black women, for black women, and she founded the Madam C.J. Walker Manufacturing Company. Now, just a little bit of background information on her. She was born Sarah Breedlove on December 23, 1867 in Louisiana, and um, she uh, was uh, one of six children born to Owen and Minerva Breedlove. And she was the only one of her parents' children to be born free, born into freedom because she was born after the Emancipation Proclamation was signed. Now, um, she was orphaned at a young age, at the age of seven, she was uh, orphaned and she moved from Louisiana to Mississippi um, at the age of 10 to live with an older sister. And uh, she started, she had to start working as a child, as a domestic servant. She said that uh, because of the fact that she was an orphan, she was orphaned at such a young age, being without a mother or father since the age of seven, that she had little or no opportunity when she started out in life. And she uh, only had three months of formal education, which she learned during Sunday school uh, liter literacy lessons at the church that she attended. Now, at the young age of 14 in 1882, she already was married, married to a man by the name of Moses McWilliams. Um, and she was a mother by uh, 1885 um, to her daughter, Alayla, um, Alayla Walker. Well, she became Alayla Walker, but she was born as Alayla McWilliams on June 6, 1885. Um, her husband died just two years after that in 1887 when Sarah was only 20 years old and her daughter was two. Now, she remarried again in 1894, but left her second husband in 1903. Um, in 1906, she married a third time, Charles Joseph Walker, who was a newspaper advertising salesman um, who was known in St. Louis, Missouri. And um, the couple divorced in 1912. He died in 1926. But it was uh, this marriage that um, she became known as Madam C.J. Walker. And her daughter, Alayla McWilliams, adopted the stepfather's surname, and she became known as Alayla Walker. So that's how she became Madam C.J. Walker. Um, in, as known as her in her business, but her close friends called her by her name, which was Sarah. Now, in 1888, she uh, 
um, Sarah and her daughter moved to St. Louis, St. Louis, excuse me, Missouri, where three of her brothers had already lived. And she found work as a laundress, and but she barely made a, a dollar a day. But she was determined to make a good living so that she can provide her daughter with a formal education, and one that she didn't have. And um, uh, as was common during that time of um, black women in that era, uh, she suffered from severe dandruff and other scalp ail- ailments, including baldness uh, due to skin disorders and uh, applications of harsh products that were used during that day on the hair. The lye being one of them, goose fat and heavy oils, these were all bad for the scalp and it caused a lot of um, um, you know, scalp ailments. Um, lye was used in, in soaps to cleanse hair and wash clothes and we all know that lye is very harsh on the skin. Uh, other contributing factors to um, you know, the, these ailments, scale, uh, scalp ailments were poor diet illnesses, uh, infrequent bathing, um, and hair washing during a time when there were a lot of people who didn't have indoor plumbing or central heating or electricity. And where she lived at um, in St. Saint Louis, Saint Louis at this time, you know, nobody really had that. It was in a poor area in uh, St. Louis. But she learned about hair care from her brothers because they were barbers in St. Louis. So um, around uh, the early 1900s, she became a commission uh, agent selling products for Annie Malone. And uh, we talked about Annie Malone in one of our previous episodes. And she was a hair care entrepreneur. She was a very successful one as well. She became a millionaire. And she was the owner of the Poro Company. And uh, and uh, um, Sarah went to the Louisiana Purchase Exposition, which was the World's Fair at St. Louis, and um, to to sell uh, some, of, some of these products from the Poro Company. Now... Uh, since since uh, the black community was largely ignored by salespeople um, during this time, the sales at the expo- at the exposition were a bit of a disappointment. But uh, she um, learned, continued to learn from Annie Malone, and they actually became rivals later on, um, um, as they both had cosmetic empires. But she began to take the knowledge that she learned from Annie Malone and develop her her own line, her own product line on the side while she was still working for Annie Malone. Um, And sales continued to to bloom and blossom for both of them um, as uh, Sarah caught on and became successful selling products from door to door. Now, in July 1905, uh, Sarah and her daughter Layla moved to Denver, Colorado where they continued to, where she continued to sell products for Annie Malone and develop her own hair care business. Now, at this point in time, there was a, uh, a beef or a controversy that developed between Annie Malone and, uh, and uh, Sarah um, or Madam C.J. Walker because uh, she believed that she accused her of stealing her formula. Um, and even though the mixture of petroleum jelly and sulfur uh, was in use for over 100 years, Annie Malone had a had a specific formula that she used for her products that she soon began to copyright after that. But uh, they had a uh, falling out, and so this is when uh, Sarah separated from her and began to really focus on opening and, and, and expanding, not opening, but expanding her own product line. Um, 
she marketed herself as a independent hairdresser and retailer of cosmetic cosmetics creams now her husband was a business partner Charles Walker and uh, he provided advice on advertising and promotion and she sold her products from door to door and she also taught other black women how to groom and style their hair as we mentioned on one of our previous episodes when we talked about Annie Malone and Majority Joyner they actually developed and created the model that became popular with Mary Kay and Avon where they would go to people's houses and have people over and show them their products and demonstrate the products and how useful they were on on uh, black women's hair and that's how they were able to prove that's how they proved to be so successful in what they were doing in 1906, uh, she put her daughter, Alayla, in charge of the mail order operation in Denver while she and her husband traveled throughout the southern and eastern United States to expand the business. By 1908, they uh, re- relocated to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where they opened a beauty parlor and established uh, Layla College to train hair culturists. And um, as an advocate of black women's economic independence, she opened training programs in the Walker system for her national network of licensed sales agents, sales agents who earn you know good commissions, and that was you know they, she was helping to provide economic independence to a lot of black women who worked for her company, you know in multiple states all over the country. Uh, she decided to close the business in Denver in 1907, and um, she had her daughter run the day-to-day operations from Pittsburgh. And by 1910, they established a new base in, in Indianapolis. Uh, Indiana, um, as well as establishing an office and beauty salon in in Harlem neighborhood in New York City in 1913, because that was becoming a center of black culture. Now, uh, she really, as we mentioned, she relocated her business to Indianapolis, where she established the headquarters for the Madam C.J. Walker Manufacturing Company. She purchased a house and a factory, and continued to expand on that, which later became a factory, hair salon, a beauty school to train her sales agents, and even a laboratory was added later on to help with research. Research, uh, research excuse me. She, uh, she also as- assembled some of the best people around her, um, like Majority Joyner, who uh, worked for her and also um, you know, made an improvement on a permanent wave design. Freeman uh, Ransom, who was her legal counsel for her and for her company, as well as many others to assist in managing her company as it continued to grow and expand. And many of the company's employees, including those in in key management and staff positions, were women, black women. Now, to increase the company's sales force, uh, she trained um, other women to become beauty culturists using the Walker system. And her method of grooming was designed to promote hair growth and to condition the scalp through the use of her products. Um, her system included a shampoo, a pomade that was stated to help the hair grow, strenuous brushing, strenuous brushing, and applying iron combs or hot combs to the hair. And this method claimed to make lackluster and brittle hair to become soft and luxurious. Now she had several competitors, um, as we mentioned, Annie Malone being one of them. Uh, Sarah Spencer Washington's Apex system was another one. Um, there were products that were produced in Europe and manufactured by other companies in the U.S. Um, who were who arrived with as well. But it, but even though they all you know were in, in the cosmetics field, they all were able to build their own empires because that's how um, that's how wide the uh, customer base was. 
you know, their, their black customer base was a thriving customer base for them that they were all able to start their own empires. Her, Annie Malone, and Sarah Spencer Washington, um, you know, is just a few um, to name that started empires during this time um, uh, in, the, in the early 1900s. Now, between 1911 and 1919, which was the height of uh, Madam C.J. Walker's career, uh, her, her company employed several thousand women as sales agents for its products. And um, by 1917, the company claimed to have trained nearly 20,000 women. And they had a specific look. You know, there was the, um, um, their uniform was white shirts, with black, white shirts with black skirts carrying black satchels. And they would go from house to house around the U.S. and even in the Caribbean offering Walker's hair pomade and other products that were packaged in containers, tin containers that carried her image. Because see, even back then, she knew the power of advertising and having a brand. So she would put her image on all of her products so that people knew what they were buying, who they were buying it from. She advertised heavily in uh, black newspapers and magazines, as well as traveling around to promote her products. And that helped make her and her products a household name in the U.S., she even became, you know, more widely known after her death as her company, um, as her company expanded in markets beyond the U.S. to Cuba, Jamaica, Haiti, Panama, and even Costa Rica. Now, the thing about Madam C.J. Walker is that she even owned several cars. Back then, you know, people didn't really have cars or drive too much, but she owned several cars. She owned a Ford Model T, which is one of the first cars that were put, you know, on the line. She in a Waverly, which was an electric car that was manufactured in, in Indianapolis, not far from where she lived. And she even had a full-time chauffeur to drive her around, but she sometimes preferred to drive around, you know, for personal excursions. There's a well-known picture of her in the African-American Museum in, in D.C., the Smithsonian, um, of her and, and some of her girls, and they're hanging out, and they're driving around, and look like they're going out on a night in the town. And, you know, that picture says a lot. It shows her success. And not just her success, but all their success. Because they were all successful women that were, you know, working through her company. Now, in addition to training and sales and grooming, she also showed other black women how to budget, build their own businesses, and encouraged them to become financially independent. She, uh, uh, in 1917, inspired by the National Association of Colored Women, she began organizing her sales agents into state and local clubs, kind of like fraternal organizations. And uh, the result was the establishment of the National Beauty, Culturist, and Benevolent Association of Madam C.J. Walker Agents, which was the predecessor to the Madam C.J. Walker Beauty, Culturist Union of America. And uh, its first uh, conference, which was held in 1917 in Philly, um, had over 200 attendees. And it's believed to be the first national gathering of women entrepreneurs to discuss business and commerce. And she even gave prizes to the women who sold the most products and brought in the most new sales agents. And uh, now she was known for her activists as well and her philanthropy. She uh, was vocal about her views on financial independence. In 1912, she addressed the annual gathering of the National Negro Business League. And when she stated, I am a woman who came from the cotton fields of the South. From there, I was promoted to the washtub. From there, I was promoted to the cook kitchen. And from there, I promoted myself into the business of manufacturing hair goods and preparations. I have built my own factory on my own ground. 
After, after that speech, she was the keynote speaker because who's not going to be inspired by that? She helped to raise funds for many organizations, the YMCA, Young Men's Christian Association. Um, she also contributed scholarship funds to the, to the Tuskegee Institute. She uh, also gave money to the Bethel African Methodist Episcopal Church, uh, Mary McLeod uh, Bethune's Daytona Education and Industrial School for Negro Girls, which later became the Bethune-Cookman University in Daytona Beach, Florida the Palmer Memorial Institute in North Carolina, and the Haynes Normal and Industrial Institute in Georgia. She uh, also, um, in, as her daughter, you know, when her daughter moved to Harlem in 1913, uh, and, uh, and she joined her there a few years later, uh, she left the team of her day-to-day operations at the headquarters in Indianapolis to her management team that she trusted, and she um, commissioned... Uh, Vertner Tandy, who was the first uh, black architect who was licensed in New York City and also one of the founding members of the Alpha Phi Alpha fraternity, she commissioned, she commissioned him to build her, um, her home, her mansion, which is now a landmark, um, and it cost $250,000 to build, and she, it became a gathering place for community leaders, and it became a place to inspire other uh, black Americans to pursue their dreams. And um, as mentioned, that place um, now is a cultural landmark, um, you know, and, and she designed her house to be an inspiration to other black people to, that, that they can see, you know, this is what she was able to build so they can aspire to that as well. She became more involved in political matters after she came to New York, delivering lectures on political, economic and social issues. Um, she was friends with Booker T. Washington and W.E.B. Du Bois as well as Mary McLeod Bethune, and as well as other um, illuminaries in, in black culture. She uh, also uh, joined the executive committee of the New York cha- chapter of the NAACP, which organized the silent protest parade on New York City's Fifth Avenue. And the public de- demonstration drew more than 8,000 black Americans to protest a riot in East, in East St. Louis that killed 39 black Americans. And uh, since she was so successful in her business, she was able to contribute to many political and philanthropic and philanthropic interests. Um, in 1918, the National Association of Colored Women's Clubs honored her for making the largest individual contribution to help preserve Frederick Douglass's uh, Anacostia, Anacostia House. And uh, she even pledged $5,000 to the NAACP anti-lynching fund, which is worth about 72000 and some change today. At the time, it was the largest gift from an individual that the NAACP had ever received, and she even bequeathed nearly $100,000 to orphanages, institutions, and individuals, um, and her will directed that two-thirds of future net profits of her estate be given to charity. Now, Unfortunately, she died at um, the age of 51 on May 25th, 1919 from kidney failure as well as uh, um, hypertension or high blood pressure. And uh, she actually was buried in the Bronx, New York at the Willow Cemetery. But um, at the time of her death, as we know, she was considered to be the uh, wealthiest black woman in America, or at least one of them. And, uh, you know, as we know, her legacy, you know, lives on today. Um... You know, there's many, you know, uh, specials and documentaries and even TV movies that were written about her life, books written about her life, 
Her personal papers are preserved at the Indiana Historical Society. Um, she is two of her properties, as you mentioned, are landmarks. The one uh, is called Villa Lawaro in Irvington, New York, and the the uh, Madam Walker Theater Center in Indianapolis. They're both historical landmarks. Um, as you mentioned, her legacy lives on. Even her daughter, uh, her daughter Alayla Walker, you know, who was integral in the expansion and the growth and the success of the Madam C.J. Walker Manufacturing Company. They both have their own, you know, legacy tied together, but also separate. But um, as we mentioned, her legacy lives on because of her, um, you know, the, all the tributes and awards that she received. And just her story is one that's inspirational to everybody, to anyone worldwide. So, you know, there's so much more we could talk about about her and about what she's done and accomplished. You know, I mean, there's so much more. But um, as, you know, I was encouraged in past episodes, everyone who we look up and everyone who we talk about, you can always look them up on yourself and find out any extra information on them because these are inspirational people. You know, their stories and where they came from and then where they, where they went to is always an inspiration. You know, coming from nothing and building something that's, that became a success and that became, you know, well-known and inspirational to generations of, you know, black you know, not just Americans, but just the whole African diaspora worldwide. So, Madam C.J. Walker, we thank you for your contribution to black history and black culture, and we salute you. Now, that concludes this episode of Everyday Black History. And, um, you know, uh, to conclude our, um, our uh, celebration on topic of hair on Everyday Black History, we're going to have an interview where, as mentioned, we uh, I had the privilege of speaking to a woman who was coming out with a book where she interviewed a hundred black women about their hair, natural hair, and the different stories behind it, and and it's, it's interesting. So I'm gonna play, you know, I'm gonna have that interview on Sunday for you, ready for you on Sunday, and you can um, listen to that as well. Um, and maybe I shouldn't say the conclusion because who knows? Tomorrow I may find somebody who I didn't know about and want to highlight them, but. You know, if that happens, then, hey, there's nothing wrong with that, right? Because it's all black history and black culture. It's all about, it's all for the people. So uh, that concludes this episode and just stay tuned for the next one.